There's like a video of me, hopefully it doesn't exist anymore, of a blackout on Thanksgiving where I, at his mother's house, removed my clothing and I mean, it's it's horrible. And the next day I had no memory of it and they asked if I wanted to see the video and I, I didn't, I didn't. And his mom told me. So the next day I woke up, I had pissed myself and I had no idea what's like, what's up, what's for breakfast? And they were like, are, are you kidding me right now? Green lights and blue skies are on Hi everyone, my name is Irene and I'm coming to you here from South Florida. We're Crosstalk, the number one recovery podcast for learning about people who have recovered and giving hope to people who may need it. And today I have an amazing guest. I've known her for a few years and she's one of my great friends. Uh, her name is Carrie, and Carrie's here to tell you a little bit about her story and how she um, she's living today in happy in happy harmony, right? That's right. I'm very Welcome. grateful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy you're here. Tell me a little bit about how you grew up. So I grew up around the Washington D.C. area. Um, two parents, a brother. Um, loving family uh but i do believe from the bottom of my heart i was born an alcoholic i believe it because um from as early as i can remember i would lie to people about who i was and change my story mm. i was um extremely clingy yeah. i had huge separation anxiety from my mom I couldn't do regular things that um, kids were doing. And I just, I've always been a vicious liar. Um, like the most glaring thing that comes to mind is when I was seven, my parents split up. Yeah. And I would lie to people about it. And I would lie to my friends' parents about it, even though they knew. I was so ashamed of it. And um, just things like that. I would get anxiety when a member of my family went into my room in case they would find something out about me. Right. Um, and I know a lot of people, uh, when they talk about, you know, being born an alcoholic, talk about being a liar, I really think I was clinically, pathologically right. a I, liar. I mean, I think that all of us have some sort of, like, denial, right? Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about how everything started when you started, you know, using drugs and alcohol. Like, what happened? Like, what was the, the moment? So I started becoming, like, a very, like, a knucklehead sort of rebellious in middle school. Um, and then it quickly got, like, dangerous and scary. Um, you know, sneaking out of my house, hanging out with older boys. I like another part of the whole dishonest thing is that if I didn't have like approval from peers and men mm -hmm. later or boys mm -hmm. at this mm -hmm. age, um, I had no self-worth. So it was whatever they were doing, smoking cigarettes, smoking a lot of weed, um, and then uh, getting caught, getting caught, getting caught. Um, so- Did you have any consequences? Well, you know, in hindsight, it was relatively a soft landing, but in, yes, I had to leave my school. I got sent to a boarding school. Oh, wow. Okay. The board, 
the boarding school introduced me to the 12 steps, although there was some other stuff with it. It ended up getting shut down. Wait, how old were you then? 14. Oh, My wow. freshman year of high school. I went for a year and a half. Okay. Until the school got shut down by the Office of Child Care Services. It was okay. one of those. Okay. You know, not, nobody had licenses. They were giving us meds. Different they were time. using restraints. Anyway, um... And I was like, oh, I'm an addict. Cool. So I got out of there and I went, started going to a private school back in D.C. And I did really well there. And little by slowly, I went back to like a, a boyfriend only. He was 23 and I was 16. Okay. And we started drinking. Yeah. And actually, funnily enough, I met him in a young person's AA meeting I went to because I got out of this school and I was like, I'm going to be in recovery. Anyway, um, and I can tell you, so I was about 17 years old when I had that drink and I didn't throw it up because when I was younger, I would just throw up every time and I low-key hated drinking and okay. would avoid it. Right. I had that moment everyone describes where I had arrived. I had right. found the solution. All the stuff I was fighting so hard to keep hidden all the emotional crap I couldn't regulate. Yeah. I had arrived. It was like your coping mechanism. I mean, it was, I couldn't believe not everyone was drinking all day, every day. It was amazing. So within a year I had blacked out. Um, I had been accepted to college in North Carolina and was arrested two or three times and kicked out. Mm -hmm. um, and I got a DUI, my first DUI. Okay. So we're talking low functioning drunk from the jump. Um, and you know, you asked about consequences, like every time I had to deal with a very upset, very disappointed mother, but like I had a lawyer, Right. Of I didn't make enough money for a lawyer. Um, I had a roof over my head. So, you know, so you were being enabled a little saved a hundred percent, right? A hundred percent. And, um, you know, by the time I was 23 and several jobs later that I, you know, I'd lost so many jobs in my 20s to no call, no show due right. to hangovers, things like that. I was like a full blown, physically addicted alcoholic. Shakes in the morning. Oh, start wow. drinking as soon as I got to work. And this is what age? 23. Okay. And it all came to a head. My family had stopped drinking with me, um, mostly because there was like a trip to New York to visit my brother. And then I would always kind of spin it on this mental health thing, which mm -hmm. is definitely there, don't get me wrong. Right. But it wasn't really alcohol was my problem. And I ended up going to like a psychiatric place, right? Uh-huh. And while I was there, I had managed to get all this booze and they caught me, right? How did you? Because it was an open oh, situation. Oh, I see, I see. Doors open. And they found it. They found empty bottles, like two trash bags full, right? Mm -hmm. A couple weeks in. And that's when I went to my first rehab, 23 years old. Okay. Where um, was it? That was in Pennsylvania. Okay. You know. Okay. <laughs> so um, I do that and I remember just being this miserable, I mean, it was fun, like for the first time in that, like, I guess I did 60 days there. I wasn't like looking for a man or anything like that, which was great, but I was also not, my heart wasn't in it at all. And I came home and I stayed sober a couple weeks, uh, met a guy, moved out um, of my parents and quickly started blackout drinking again. 
Um, you know, I think we had multiple eviction notices, things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was a very um, violent drinker. And, you know, I'm, I'm the woman. So when we would fight, and I'm talking about fight, I was always able to be the victim because I always ended up a little more uh, visibly hurt. Um, but I was an abuser myself. Right. I mean, we would fight. Well, would st I, I had a similar thing. And, and, you know, it's just toxic. When two people are on drugs, there's no, you know, you, your frontal lobe is like, forget it. Everything is like bad. Yeah. It, 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 yes. And um, actually, one of the biggest points of like changing my life now was getting rid of that victim mentality and accepting like, I was a horrible, abusive person. Yeah. I was. Yeah, me too. I, Doesn't I, mean what happened to me was okay, but I was. Yeah. And that's that. And, and I think it's more like it was, it, it, you were, to like we were toxic. You right. know what I mean? Because we're, we're not there. Like we're filling our body with these substances and we're completely like another person. You bl we black out. We do things that aren't okay. And then, you know, when you come to and you are, are not drinking, you're like, what, what, what did I do? Right. I, I can't do this again, you know? And, and to give you like a snapshot of that period, um, my, you know, I guess I was 24, 25. I was paying for gasoline with coins, you know, to try and get to work and um, barely holding on to a job. Right. And then spending all my money on alcohol. So at this point, are you doing any other drugs? I mean, not hard drugs. I, um, you know, I, if there was money, I suppose I'd smoke some weed. Right, okay. But I was, a, I was drinking really bad. So right. fast forward to like, I'm 26 years old. Me and him are on the outs. I'm drinking at a bar with a friend and I'm waiting for the bus to go home and I meet um, the man who I will eventually marry um, in secret and have two children with, not in secret. Um, <laughs> that's harder to hide. Um, and it is the same exact pattern. You have two addicts together. Um, I am emotionally unstable. Mm -hmm. I am a frightful blackout drunk. Mm. I have been kicked out of his family's home for embarrassing them and myself. And then I get pregnant quickly. Mm. And I do kind of get it together. Like I do. I, I, I sort of stopped drinking. I did right. drink a little wine here and there, but I like got it together. And there it is. There's your proof. I'm not an alcoholic. Right, of course. Let me tell you, uh, in the hospital room after I gave birth mm -hmm. I had my brother-in-law bring me two bottles of booze and I was drinking champagne it was New Year's I was so that, it's fine obviously <laughs> I was drinking champagne with the ice chips in a hospital cup watching the ball drop oh my god still recovering from a c-section okay breastfeeding okay that's a problem. That's what it looks like, yeah. 
So then we get the assault charge. We got in a fight. I was in a blackout. I get another DUI with my baby in the car. It's just consequence after consequence. I'm going back to school to be a teacher. What a joke. It took me like, it was a two-year program. It took me three. That's not so bad, actually. Actually, it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not so bad. I am proud of that, actually, that I did Yeah, school, you did it. But, um, just a joke. I mean, I'm barely getting by, and I, I do have my drinking under control. We have another child. Yeah. Um, once all my charges and everything are cleared up. And then when he's two, he's four who, now. Who? My son. Okay. So wait, quick question. At this point, are you and your husband fighting a lot? Oh, and yes. it's toxic? Oh, yes. And, and like, here's the thing about me. This man, and I'm not here to bash him right. because I take full responsibility. Yeah. I probably caught him cheating in some capacity 12 times that I know of. Right. And I just clung on to him harder. Okay, like he could not do a thing to make me break. And I don't know if it goes back to that stuff I was talking about with my own family, my own parents' marriage breaking up or what, but I would have gone to the depths of hell for him. For him and to just have a nuclear family. How were your parents, and I've heard that a lot from others actually, but how did your parents feel about him? Were they telling you like, hey, this is not good? Yes. Yeah. But eventually, you know, I had two children with him. Right. We sneakily got work. married because they liked him. They had accepted him. He came over for Christmas and family dinners. Yeah. They understood that he was my partner, but I wasn't, I still couldn't tell him I married him. You know? Right. So I did that on the sneak. Like everything else in my life. Hidden. Yeah. Hidden. Mm -hmm. Hidden. Right? And, um, you know, we started. And, and I didn't tell you this, but I do think I had an Adderall addiction in my 20s, too. I, would be, I had a prescription that I would go through in maybe like a week or two. And then I would have to sleep. Mm -hmm. for two weeks till I could refill it. I can definitely I know you relate. know. I know you know. Um, that was my So major. that was part of it too. And I would, you know, I needed a lot of booze to come down from that. Um, so it's almost a haze. Like I can't even remember mm -hmm. that period it's of my the, life. But it was there. It was there. Yeah. And um, so we started, you know, going, slipping back into that. My drinking was sort of under control. But when I did drink, I would black out. Um, there's like a video of me, hopefully doesn't exist anymore, of a blackout on Thanksgiving where I, uh, at his mother's house, um, like removed my clothing and I mean, it's, it's horrible. And the next day I had no memory of it and they asked if I wanted to see the video and I, I didn't, I didn't. And his mom told me mm -hmm. and, um, you know. The next day I woke up, I had pissed myself and I had no idea. I was like, what's up? What's for breakfast? You know? And they were yeah. like, are, are you kidding me right now? Right. Um, so that's, you know, when I did drink, that's how it was. And uh, I don't need to get into all the details, but the l very last leg of my active addiction was um, smoking fentanyl. Yeah. And that took me down so fast how were you introduced to fentanyl? Uh, my husband. Okay. So he actually left us for a few months. Um, 
when things just came to a explosive point mm -hmm. and I um, took him back four months later and he was smoking these little blue things on tin foil and I mm -hmm. judged him and didn't touch it for about a week and then right. eventually I did and I got hooked so fast all my money went to that um, within a month if I went four hours without it I was in physical withdrawal so did you ever have like an overdose or anything no because fentanyl is like I, I honestly, and I don't want to spread any inf misinformation, but everyone around me was overdosing. And I think it's because I, ne I only smoked it. It's just a little harder. It's still very possible. Yeah. But it's just slightly harder um, than if you're snorting it or injecting it. Got it. Um, and that's like, you know, one of the things that I look back on now and realize like I should be dead. Oh, Yeah. I need to do something purposeful moving forward because I have been given a chance, yeah. you know, I, yeah. and not even a second one. Like, and, and that's why I, I, I love this podcast, right? Because we're sharing that hope and the fact that like, yeah, we were a mess, right? I should say I was a mess, but it sounds like you were pretty, pretty much a, a mess. mess too. A mess. And but listen, then, if it wasn't for my family that like, I, I would be in a shelter, homeless, yeah. and my children would be in foster care. Yeah. They would. By the time my mom, like, there was a day that I wasn't picking up the phone. Yeah. And her senses went off, and she came to my house, and it was freaking condemned. My children were, like, fending for themselves, and I was in the basement smoking my shit, and... She said, that's enough. And she took the children. And the next thing I know, um, I have a, a, a summons in the mail about temporary custody going to her. Uh -huh. And, you know, a few things happened in between, but this is the short version. And I was too high or too dope sick or both mm. to show up. And all the while, it's poor me, poor me. Of they course. took my children. This, you know... It's, it's them versus me. Mm. I would be dead in a shelter and my children would be in the system. I cannot make that clear enough. Right. But at I am time, no you different. You can't see that at the time. No, I'm, I'm just yeah. this victim that lost my kids. And right. I'm trying my best and my husband left me for four months. Of course I got addicted to dope. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, mean I really just... However, it put me in the best position to to get, get it right yeah and um so that was the culminating event the custody right so okay. they go they go out to the shore right my mom takes the kids and i found a way to break into my house so we could steal some cash and stay there okay all right and this is not even in my mind i mean i do think somewhere in my life i had a moral compass. Right. This doesn't even phase me as something like morally reprehensible. I'm like, let's go. Let's go. Let's find well, some I mean, cash. You're on the most addictive. People steal things. People break into places to get this stuff, you know? Right. And we did. Yeah. And we got caught in the act um, when they came home. And they called the police, so and there were we, warrants. This were, was my husband okay. and I. And there were warrants. And I'd like to say that right then and there, and that, until I had been 
10 months sober, about a, almost a year um, since this point, since I saw my kids, the last thing they saw me doing was running from my parents' house in the, into the woods and hiding because the police were coming and they were, you know, coming home and they mm -hmm. saw us. Mm -hmm. Um, and at this point, my mother didn't even know I had taken him back. Remember, I said my husband had left. Um, you know, they immediately, like, noticed, like, the cash was gone. Um, jewelry was gone. We had pawned. Um, there was, like, a gold diamond ring that my dad, who's deceased and I was very close to, had given my mom and was kind of maybe in my mind I had said it was going to be mine anyway. Right. Got like 200 bucks for it. Not even. I think I got 99 bucks for it or something. You know, it had like gold and diamonds. Like they ripped me off, I'm right. sure. Of course they did. But also in my head, I'm like, we're going to get 400 bucks. And I think it was like less than 100, like slightly less. Yeah. Anyway, so we took all that. Um... And I'd like to say that was it. That was the last straw. Mm -hmm. I remember my daughter's face out the back of the car window when I was running to hide in the woods. But we went, um, we couldn't go to his mom's because now there was a warrant for burglary. Yeah. And this is when I knew when my mom filed those charges against me, like she was done. There would be no lawyer. There would be nothing. So we went and uh, we found like a, you know, cash only sort of shady rental place you mm -hmm. didn't need insurance or anything like that yeah um down in virginia and we um got a car and we started making trips uh from dc to baltimore buying this stuff and selling a little and using until what always happens happens and we used more than we could sell and all of a sudden we are in the hole we are dope sick mm -hmm. we have no roof over our heads because we can't afford another day at this motel Right, so well, like 65 bucks a night or something. That's why they say never get high on your own supply. Yeah. Well, <laughs> who are we kidding? We weren't any kind of dealers. We I were know. trying to, um, we needed to return this car. Um, and uh, I remember standing there outside the hotel and um, I was so sick and I just called my mom and I said, I'm done. And I meant it. It wasn't like, get me somewhere so I can get a Suboxone and feel better. It was like, I am done. I want my children back. I don't, I don't want to do this ever again. You couldn't get a brush through my hair. I had these big mats. Oh, God. My face was sunken. Um, you know, I remember trying to go back to my old friend alcohol when I was real sick. Mm. And I couldn't hold it down. Um, and... I, I, my husband dropped me off at a 7-Eleven and my mom picked me up and took me to the airport. She took away, like, I didn't have any cash. She gave me just enough cash, I think 12 bucks to buy a snack, you know, and stayed on the phone with me the whole time until I got there and they picked me up and took me to detox. Down here or? Down here. Okay. When I got to detox. It's a nice place. It was I very nice. I know where nice. you went. <laughs> it was very nice. Um, when I got there. They said that because there was fentanyl in my system, they couldn't give me subutex for two days. Oof. So I did go through it. And they Ooh. gave me, you know, benzos and sleeping pills and stuff like that. They did? Yeah. Oh, I didn't get any of oh, that. Oh, dude, I was like writhing and sweating. And the girl who was in my room was like, I can't be with her. 
Can well, you have you ever me? seen Dope Sick? No. Oh. Yes, the show. Yeah, I yeah. was thinking of the other one with the but sexy teenager. But that's what teenager. people do. That the, that's what withdrawals are. You know, it's like you, you're. It's an out of body experience. That was euphoria. Don't don't put the thing in where I said sexy teenagers. Blech. Oh. I was thinking of euphoria. All right. Oh. <laughs> I got like a, a bad taste in my mouth from saying the words sexy teenagers. As soon I, as I said it, I was like, shit. You guys are literally fine. He's going to be so mean and actually take clips of this and, and like. If it's funny, just make it in good taste. Yeah, yeah. He's going to ruin us. <laughs> We're done for. Euphoria were the parties I went to. Yeah. That's what it looked like yeah. growing up. I don't think there was as much fentanyl and stuff. Well, fentanyl is relatively new, but there was heroin and shit's not, right? So there wasn't heroin. It was all very much like suburban speedball prescription medication right. and drinking. And it looked like euphoria, literally euphoria. So when I saw that show, I'm like, oh, wow, Kevin, Kevin. Did, did, it, it, did that show trigger you? No, it just captured my, my high school year. I'm like afraid to watch it. I don't know why. Oh, don't worry. I know. Fentanyl and, and opiates are like a whole different world. Yes. You know, it's not the same as, as, you know, prescription medication. Well, unless you're taking Percocet, right? Unless you're taking opiates. And it's not the same as other things like Adderall or benzos. Even though benzos are hard to detox from, because you had to have seizures, you know, fentanyl, I've seen it. People are sweating, like sick, like literally oh, sick. like flu, cold, sick. Yes. Your body is like just having an outer body thing. And you can't sleep. And when you do sleep for a couple minutes at a time, I'm just dreaming about my children yeah. and all the shit. And then I'm having an anxiety attack. Right. So I wrote everything down. I finally got Subutex two days later and I was like, I got to write this down. I don't ever want to forget that wow you really were in a good place then i was ready of like ready i was this was not like any other time i tried to get sober wow that's awesome however and i will say i have no opinion on um matt yes i, I mean but i took subutex for six days then i went to my residential treatment and i withdrew from that i know i've heard it's very I hard i craved my taper yeah so i was grateful that there was no looking back. I went there without a prescription. Well, because I don't know that I could have taken it any more days and not and been able to bear yeah, the withdrawal. Yeah. Me personally. Right. Um, I also know people whose lives it saved and take it every day under a doctor's care, and it's wonderful. Again, like, it's not, I'm not here to judge how right. people recover. So I just wanted to, like, say that so it didn't come off as me. But for me, I think... The way that unfolded was perfect because I got to feel the hardest part of it. I got the comfort. However, I will say they had 24-hour snacks there, and I was too sick to take advantage of it. Oh, really? Come oh, my God. Come to residential. God. It I was gained, a like, place <laughs> where you had to do your own grocery shopping on a budget. Oh, yeah. And I'm going, why didn't I eat more when I was in detox? Oh, I damn brought, it! I brought all the snacks from Detox. Did you really? And when they opened my suitcase, they're like, "Oh, you have a sugar addiction too." Oh, of and course they like, did. Of course they I was like, did. What do you? They took away. They put me on a sugar ban. Took your snacks away. I wasn't allowed to buy anything from the supermarket. They would check my list, and I was not allowed to buy anything with sugar. So I figured out what in the supermarket would show up differently on the receipt because I used to cater. <laughs> And I would buy things that were like secretly sweet, but it would say like Publix B 
or something like oh that. You know, it wouldn't say what it was. And I mastered that, of course. But then, of course. And then I got caught for, you know. Of course. Hiding granola bars and things in my room. Well, you went through five years before I did. We went to the same place. Yeah. And uh, that's how we know each other. Yes. And um, it was way stricter then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they would knock on my door at 8 a.m. on a Saturday and be like, intervention, check oh, no, your drawers, no. check your everything. Oh, no. And I would hide candy in the pockets of my jackets and stuff in my closet so they couldn't find it. But they, they I was... I was like, you took away everything. Uh, yeah. Give me back my sugar. You know what uh, I mean? Yeah. I can't speak on that because I gained 60 pounds in like uh, four or five months. So yeah, I, I was a little underweight to start. So there's a like room for error there, but. Ugh. I can really, I gained 90 pounds. And you know what? I'm not even mad about it. I still like myself more than I did oh. as a twig. Uh, and I'll get there. You know what? A hundred percent. And in sobriety, it's been really interesting for me to change the way I look at my body. Mm -hmm. I mean, now I've lost the weight I've gained. I gained, but I, I was very uncomfortable in my body for four or five years, but I was still like, I'm better than before. Right. And I don't care that I have thighs and this and that. And we're lucky because now we're living in a time where there's more body acceptance mm -hmm. and there's more, um, you know, just just not less criticism mm -hmm. even though it's still there you know it's less there's more mm -hmm. yeah so I, f I feel like that changes over time and you know there was a point and you know this happened in my Adderall days too and my drinking drinking was my superpower right until mm -hmm. it wasn't right I actually had what a doctor told me was a reverse tolerance so I would start blacking out before I finished a 40 ounce Malt okay. liquor, but still. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was scared to go outside. I was scared of my own shadow. This is in treatment no, or pre-treatment? No, this is yeah. throughout the various chapters of my addiction. I always wound up at that place yeah. where I couldn't get a brush through my hair. That happened multiple times, and I couldn't go outside. Mm. I couldn't, wouldn't, couldn't go to the store, nothing. Maybe mm. I'd venture out at night to bum a cigarette if I was desperate enough. Right. Um, my apartment was, or, or house, and later even the house with my children in it, mm -hmm. was condemnable, mm -hmm. you know, um, because I couldn't dig myself out of whatever. And I think now I, um, housekeeping's really important to me because mm -hmm. I don't want to be reminded of my old life but it's also a balance and I know we've talked about this a lot because if I leave dishes in the sink or whatever I have to be like okay I have to let my kids be kids without flipping out that they track dirt in the house oh, so there's like this balance that I'm finally getting to now I can't get resentful at everybody for yeah any little mess um but anyways, I'm I like mean, totally me, sidetracking. I feel the same way though, because being in a messy home or dirty home, I should say, um, makes me feel like I'm back in addiction. Right. So these days I'm very much like my house has to be clean. Like it's spotless, you see. Yeah. And um, though I have days where things accumulate, right? And and you got to deal with it. You just, it's. But Irene, I've been here with my kids with our friends kids yeah. and you're like they're like tracking in sand and spilling a sprite 
Remember my child spilled a spray? Yeah. It's, and you it's were like, it's cool, whatever. And I'm like, I need to get to that place. Because I was like, what'd you do? Oh, well, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to kill everyone. Okay, good. I All right. I, I feel better wait. now. Yeah, no, I'm like, I made a good decision not having kids. I'm like, there's <laughs> sand everywhere. I'm glad I can be your birth Sand people. is throwing. But, you know, they're not my kids to reprimand, number one. And number two... It's, they have to have fun for two they hours. Have to. I'm gonna take the Lysol wipes. I'm gonna take out the vacuum. It took me 10 minutes to clean up. I used to freak out that it would take me forever. Mm -hmm. And I timed it and I was like, oh my God, I'm done. I'm ready for bed. And everything was clean and spotless, except for my dryer that had sand for days. But you know. <sighs> And I and I thought to now myself I vacuumed later, the whole I'm thing. so glad all the sand came out in our dryer. It's not. Oh mine. my god! I vacuumed everything. I got a hose and went in. Oh god! I'm sorry. Uh, oh no! What is me too? But she, for those of you watching at home, she was very cool about it. My children think she's the coolest. Okay. So, bring your kids so over. yeah, <laughs> I love having them over because she I don't. Does. I don't have kids, and and I love kids. Even though I don't want my own, I love being an auntie and a godmother, and um, I, I want to be involved as much as possible. Because when I was using, you know, I missed so much of my niece and nephew's life. Mm. Even though I was present in the early days, I was messed up present, but I was present. But you know, in the later days, I never went to see them. Mm. I never said, I never said birthday gifts. I don't think I do it now, but now they're older, you know, but, um, I, I wasn't a good aunt. So I, for me, this is like a living amends to be there for my friends and be there for my friends, kids. And also, you know, if I can share this, you're a single mom, mm. you know, I like, I like, so is another friend of ours. Mm. And I try to go and relieve you. Like I mm -hmm. try to go like, go take a shower. I'll hang out with your kids. Like go do something. Mm -hmm. Because for me, it's like pleasurable to do that. Well, it's service. Yeah. It's like the most helpful kind of service for me right now. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And we love you. Oh, I love you too. <laughs> so, I mean, before I got sidetracked, I was going to say, I think I had the perfect like uh, experience of detox because I went through it and yeah. I got all the cushy stuff. So after you withdrew and you got to treatment, Tell me about your experience in treatment. I was super on edge because I um, had been to that boarding school mm -hmm. where you were meant to like tell on people and this and that. So I was like, oh, I can't make any friends. I can't break any rules and I can't hear about anyone else making rules, mm. breaking rules. And then little by slowly, I made friends. Of course. Some of whom are my best friends. Right. Um, and I had fun and I really did try and get through, but I wasn't fully honest. Right. I still missed my husband for one. You got honest with me like halfway through. Yes. So and I met you and asked you to sponsor me because you said that you had been sleeping in a car and your skin was gray and you needed a blood transfusion. And if you, is that okay that yeah, I said absolutely. that? Absolutely. And... I was like, holy shit, I need her to sponsor me. Like, that might be the only girl who had it worse than me. Because I was already like, my story's the worst. Of course. You're, we all feel that You're way. 23, you don't know. Yeah, you know, I had I that. Did the same Which, thing. by the way, now there's 20, 20 to 25 year olds and even younger probably that like school my ass. Oh, we have a I have a lineup tomorrow of someone who got sober when they were 20. They're doing great. 
You know, they do. Things are different now. I yeah, think, it's I awesome. Think, it's very cool. I think cool. being sober is, is cool. And I'm so proud of it. Like, whatever the stigma is that, that people have, like, that's your problem. Mm. You know what I mean? I go sleep at night and I feel great. <laughs> I don't know if I'm fully there yet, but... Yeah. You know, I... Anyway, I was on this very... Uh, I still kept myself in the margin. And then I heard your story. And I was absolutely terrified of you um and I do and I and we started doing the steps and um at in treatment though so it was like real easy in oh, a yeah. way because I wasn't out there where people were drinking and um you know whatever I was in treatment so all I had to do was meet with you and regurgitate all the shit we were doing in groups yeah. all day anyway, yeah right and um, I got caught calling my soon-to-be ex-husband while I was in there. And this was so alarming and um, concerning to the treatment team and to my family because he's actively using and I'm um, claiming to be this, like, ready to move forward. And that was, like, probably the I think I got pretty honest and the most honest I'd ever been in my life till then mm -hmm. but this was like um the one thing I was holding on to and in my mind we were still in a relationship and I couldn't wait to talk I know, to him we were, and, yeah I mean yeah yeah so at that point there they had put on some real harsh consequences and um it was like you're no longer looking for a job. We're no longer like thinking you're on track to get your children back. Um, and I was devastated and I called you and you were like, all right, listen. <laughs> and I remember you told me you were afraid I was mad at you. And I, yeah. I, I wasn't, I yeah. was scared of you, but I wasn't <laughs> mad at you. And, and you were like, don't you go to the picnic tables and smoke cigarettes. You go sit in every group. You raise your hand. You do your work. Like, this is the amount of money that is being spent on your treatment every day. Make it count. Yeah. What the hell are you doing? You have children at home. Yeah. And I was like, all right, let me do this. But I only had a couple weeks left. And actually, it might have been a couple days. I mean, my biggest regret. The paid through was coming up. Yeah, exactly. And my biggest regret was was not doing, not taking advantage of the work right. in the beginning, because then I have paid for it so much in the in, right. in these years. Right. But, but you know what? We're only ready when we're ready. But that was it. That was the yeah. journey. Yeah. yeah exactly. And at that point, I didn't really have so much spirituality. We had started kind of introducing me to it, and we had talked about like the fact that I didn't grow up with religion, but I always was kind of a believer because when I lost my dad, I never fully thought it was just over. So there was like a seed of hope and all this stuff. But yeah. now it's crystal clear. That was what was supposed to happen. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, let me tell you, for the first time in my life ever, I got over a man without there being another one to take his place. That's amazing. And I was single. I mean, technically married, but single. Mm -hmm. And I was not worried about what he was doing, who he was talking to. It was harder and took longer than getting off dope. I know. I remember Maybe not you because I went through that for 20 years. But I remember you'd come over and you were like, I sent him money. Yes. 
And I would get so upset. She, no, I, so I, he would beg me for money because he was still using and I would do it because I still hadn't let go. And I, my good friend Jackie, shout out if she's watching this up in Philly, told she me, will. you <laughs> have to tell Irene, like you got to tell your sponsor. And I told you and you go, I don't even know what to say to you. You have to call this girl because I can't even talk to you. I don't remember that. <laughs> you were like, I'm appalled. And then later you were softer and were like, right. I had to process that. I just can't <laughs> believe it. You're like, he's buying fentanyl. What if he dies? What are you doing? You have children. I mean, it was the whole thing. Yeah. And it was like 20 bucks here and there, but, but I, I it really, was what I was doing. Yeah. And I really cared about you and, and wanted to see you succeed because I saw it in you. You know, sometimes... You, you see people and you know they're just not ready yet, but you still work with them right. and hope that at least something sticks. Right. But then you work with people who you look at and you see some changes and you see some hope and you see some, they want it. Right. You know, and, and they're going to do, but they're going to, we're going to mess up. We're going to F up. You know what I mean? We're human beings. Our habits don't change overnight. It's It's definitely something you have to, but see, that was like the thing too. Like I was starting to get over him and sorry, and be okay. Yeah. And then I still had this little thing where he still needed me a little yeah. bit. We were still connected because he needed 20 bucks here and there. Yeah. And then finally, my friends made me tell you. Yeah. Like the one friend I told made me tell you. Yeah. And I didn't have that anymore. And I felt embarrassed and exposed and then little by sh like slowly I started getting better at not freaking lying and just letting that nasty shit out there yeah. so around the time I did my fifth step with you I think we crossed the threshold into friendship yeah because it was like fuck it I'm just gonna tell her everything well because I'm not there to judge right and honestly I forget people's like things you know I don't remember each detail of everyone's mess ups in life because that's mm. what I'm not what I'm there for right we're there to see a pattern you're right? and to see a pattern and to look at me with a straight face and go okay you robbed your parents yeah okay your children didn't know where you were and Cassie was changing her brother's diapers while you were in the basement smoking dope okay and you don't have to do that anymore right and I'm just like I mean, th those were the things I was going to take to the grave. Yeah. And it was women who started sharing about that shit that mm -hmm. emboldened me mm -hmm. to start sharing about it. And next thing I know, moms who are patients at the rehab now are calling me. Isn't that great? And, yes. They're giving out my number. Yeah. What the hell? I mean, that's what we do, service. That's what gets... That's the hope, right? To like, if I can, if I helped you and then you help 10 people and they help 10 people and hopefully that's how this country will recover. We have a huge mm -hmm. issue. Hundreds of thousands of people are addicted and don't think they can get off it and don't have hope, right? So, you know, this is the point of this. Right. To share these stories so people can say, okay, I'm not terrible. I'm not a bad human being. I messed up and I can change my life. And I think, you know, to that point too, we get very stuck in the all or nothing black or white. Yeah. But if we're honest with ourselves, people we idolize like in Hollywood or whatever have done terrible things. And it doesn't mean it's just not everyone is all good or all bad. Look, I'm trying to like 
eat right, okay? Right. And last night I had those little um, vanilla uh, wafers, wafers yeah. with the cream in the middle. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, well, they're so light. I'll just eat half the, the box or whatever. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, fuck it. I ruined the whole day. No, I didn't. I can still get up and do better tomorrow. Then or had I had more time of the day, turned it around. And we've talked about but that's that. that's unnatural to me. Yeah. I'd rather just go scorch the earth because I ruined my diet. I always tell people, I'm like, you can restart your day at any time. Breathe, take a break, do a meditation, and just reset. So tell me now a little bit about kind of how you've been living in sobriety, how it's been to have your kids and... So at 16 months sobriety, I had been after, right after treatment, I went to halfway for six months. Um, and after that, I moved in with my closest friend from treatment. Mm -hmm. Shout out Katie, <laughs> my girl. Seeing her She'll be coming tonight. on. She'll oh, be coming good. on. Okay. She's going to be great. Um, and we lived together for a year. And then after that, my, uh, my kids are going to move down here and live with me. Good. And um, I will tell you that first year and a half was really fun. I was around human beings I didn't find insufferable. I was finally comfortable in my skin. I had been to a bar on three occasions for necessary reasons. Not, yeah, not like necessary. Like a birthday party or something. A, for a coworker, a going away thing. Not just cause. Yeah. And I didn't feel like drinking. Isn't that amazing? I had been home to visit my kids and they didn't hate me. Those are like two of the main reasons I believe in God, actually. And the third is that I'm alive. Yeah. There's like the three things that like I can't explain other than divine intervention. Absolutely. Um, my children shouldn't have wanted me to come back. Yeah. Anyway, so then the kids came down and it got really hard. Yeah. My and like I got real resentful and real self-pitying. And I think like I called you a couple times and I said, like, if I don't get it together, like I might drink, you know, and and um Thank God I can call you. And one thing that like you made me do when I first got out was um, get phoneless. Oh yeah. Fucking call these women that I barely knew and oh. text them. But it's oh, necessary. But I forged these friendships and I did forge it. That was I the pushed point. into it that I want I would rather have just crawled in a hole and died than do. Yeah. And some of them are my best friends. Some of them we fell off. But the point is when I got crazy. Mm. I had them just yeah. like you said and um now that's what I tell girls to do yeah. I'm like it's god awful but do it oh it's the worst but they, do they it they made me call that and not me. just alumni from my rehab Re other, other people. people they made me call in rehab five different women a day and a counselor would sit next to me while I had these phone lists for meetings and call these strangers yeah but then when I was three or four years sober during COVID and I, I had a little bit of a breakdown, I sat in my car and I was like, I'm just going to go have a tequila shot. Mm. And then I got on my phone and I just literally went down the list, called people I hadn't spoken to in three years. I didn't care. They all picked up. Some of them showed up and came over. I have chills. Yeah. And, and it's like, that's the beauty of this. Right. You know, because maybe we're not best friends, but it is our we, duty with the same disease to show up for one another. And it makes me want to cry because it's so beautiful that people just will stop what they're doing no matter what and show up because they know that we would do. It. It's like a reciprocal relationship mm -hmm. and it's like unsaid, but it's said, 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it, it's so important to make, to make friendships and sobriety with people who have more sobriety than you, with, with different mm-hmm. people so that you learn from them, you learn from their experience, you know that you don't have to feel guilty and shameful. We all did it, but we changed our, we changed our lives and we're different people, mm-hmm. you know? And, and to meet people from all different walks of life was really important to me too. And I remember I, I got this uh, commitment, service commitment, and I brought a meeting to this like, um, this place where it was just, they had like an outreach in Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic and almost nobody spoke English. Uh-huh. And next thing I know, I'm sponsoring girls with a Spanish version and an English version of the big book. That is so cool. I know. That is so I cool. I know. And um, just all these like things are just coming together because I know people from here and I know people from there. And we are truly sisters in recovery, yeah. whether we like each other or not. Absolutely. There are people that I don't love, right. but I respect. Right. And I will call them. And then there's those few that I just actually let loose have true genuine fun without a drink yeah I didn't know that was possible because I'm comfortable in my skin and I find you hilarious and we are just like belly laughing yeah and this can exist without a drink and that had to be the psychic change Mm -hmm. um it wasn't just stopping drinking Because when I first got out of treatment, it was like around New Year's and I went down Atlantic Avenue with a friend and I was like uncomfortable as hell around all the people drinking and I wanted to party with them. In the beginning, it's tough. So it wasn't just stopping drinking. It was changing and loving myself. Yeah. It was around the time also my life changed dramatically that like it was time for me to start like admitting some of my wrongs and making amends to mostly family, but employers and and things like that and that was the part that is still the hardest yeah my sister-in-law is going to be here for christmas and i'm going to have to speak to her yeah and it was easy because i was in florida no one else was um i was the most nervous to do my aunt Mm -hmm. because i I lived with her yeah and i put her daughter my cousin who i'm super close to in danger I stole from her mm-hmm. and I got arrested for assault while I was living with her down the street from her house. Um, How did the amends go? With her, it was the easiest because she was so loving and wonderful. The one that I was really nervous about too, but it ended up being the toughest in like a good way was my stepdad because mm-hmm. he actually like sat there and was like, do you understand that like I wanted to buy a gun after that robbery and like, my friends had to tell me not to because I was so angry at you. Yeah. Like that's, that's and I was just like, shit, you know, but you, now you're making it right with him. Uh, yeah. You know, I love him. And we actually, I mean, he's get really along. The I don't think there was a time my family's close. There was a time they didn't even like hanging around me. Now I think we genuinely like have. So like, if we're not that way, like that amends to my aunt was like a really big turning point for me because I, you know, I, I respect her so much and I was just so, I would rather hid from her for the rest of my life right, right. than face what I did to her. And um, if we're not loving and evolving, it, those don't mean anything. Right. I know. You know? I know. Um, if I'm too rigid, I'll drink because I won't be able to take anything out of order. 
Right. You know? You gotta live in the gray zone. And when I'm drinking, everything's out of order. Why can't I be in the gray zone? So that's what I'm working on today. To make a really, really, really long story that you asked me how I'm living today. I'm trying to live in the gray. Yeah. Um, I'm no trying to find balance. I'm trying to find harmony. Not just calmness and peacefulness, but balance. Mm-hmm. Being of service and having boundaries. Yeah. Because the all or nothing way I've always lived, I'll either be um, doing too much or no one will have heard from me. And, and can I tell you, over the years, it's been, for me, the same, finding balance. Like when I first got sober, the first year I was like just trying to figure it out. Like I didn't know what to do. I was just like, what am I doing? I'm going to follow other people who've done it before me. I'm going to just play follow the leader, right? And then, you know, I sort of threw myself into service and I'm like literally every single day at the treatment center I went to, picking up girls, going to dinner. And my therapist is like, you know, you can't do that every day. Mm. Like you also have to have your own life. But I needed those distractions. Right. You know? Right. Because we're addicts, we'll do that. Yeah. And they say throw yourself into service, right? And then. But you can't really serve if you're not. Right. And then the third year I started like, okay, what does my self care look like? Right. What do I, what does that look like today for me so that I can be in good standing so I can go and help Mm -hmm. others? And I still go, Mm -hmm. but now it's once or twice a week and I have balance and I have a partner and Mm. I have work and I do this, you know, and it's kind of like beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. You seem really like chill lately. yeah I, it's, it's like you've been a blast <laughs> oh, well <laughs> i don't you. know that you tell me these things but i can't tell we're like I, dancing on the beach and yeah. my kids are messing up your house and you're like it's all good because it's it is yeah what's the worst no that i love happen? it they i break love something it. big deal oh. we figure it out what's and like so things have gotten so hard with this with juggling them sorry no you're good that (laughs) i will break my day up into four phases and be like so phase one is like getting everyone ready and getting me to work them to school and i will pray like for these next two hours don't let me get angry or help me not to get angry Mm -hmm. and enjoy my children yeah then i'll get to work please help me not talk shit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I don't want to complain. And sometimes I have to break well, work up because it's the longest phase into phases. For the next two hours, please, I don't want to complain. And then I'll set an alarm and I'll reassess. And there have been days when I leave at the end, if I've managed to get through it, where I'll feel like exploding because it was that hard for me not to complain all oh day. God, but it's not and cool, then, man. Then you There's... blast your music and you go, ah, and get it out. Yeah. <laughs> I go into, you know, I work at a deli and I'll go into the walk-in fridge because it's hot in there and I swear oh, I... God is in that fridge. When I used to work in the in the restaurant business, they, we had freezer jackets and the freezer is a huge walk-in freezer and you have to work in the freezer sometimes. Right, right. We had freezer and I would just hide in the, in the freezer sometimes. And the chef would be like, are you ready to come out? Like it's time for service. And I'm like, oh, okay. The freezer, man. I'm yeah. telling you. That's where So it's I'll at. go in there. I'll sit on one of the crates and I'll cool off and I'll just be like picturing this purple light of God and I'll try and breathe it in so that I can carry it out. And I it works that. sometimes. Well, you were the one who helped me come up with it with all, cause you have all these things you do right. and I kind of formulated my own thing and I yeah. decided purple is it and Mine sometimes it works and sometimes <laughs> it just doesn't but if I start if I complain okay 
once it's like internalized self-pity, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Because there is but nothing but I to think, cry listen, about when I have a job and I'm making money. There's just not. Yeah. If I'm in a really good place, I can make it all funny. But let it's me all tell just you, humorous. you know, I think that for me and what I've, what I've noticed with some other people, a pattern is that we're hard on ourselves. Mm. We are so hard on ourselves. And I always tell everyone I work with, I say, okay, take your inventory, mm. see what you did wrong today, see what you can fix and be better at. But then at the end of that, ask yourself, what did I do right today? Right. Like, what did I do right today? And you know, people say to me, that's like the best thing because we, if we don't look at the good at all, then we're only going to focus on the bad. We have to see our good too. And I think at the end of the day, if you only focus on the bad, that's just an excuse to drink. Exactly. Eventually. Well, exactly. Fu it's fuck it. You, we grew up that way. Those were euphoria were the parties I went to. Yeah. That's what it looks like yeah. growing up. I don't think there was as much fentanyl and stuff. Well, fentanyl is relatively new, but there was heroin and shit's not, right? So there wasn't heroin. It was all very much like suburban speedball prescription medication right. and drinking. And it looked like euphoria, literally euphoria. So when I saw that show, I'm like, oh, wow, Kevin, Kevin. Did, it did that show trigger you? No, it just captured my, my high school year. I'm like afraid to watch it. I don't know why. Oh, don't worry. I know. So now you're living your best life. Is there anything that you would want to say to your 12-year-old self or whatever age it is, like to your younger self, whatever age you think was that flip? Like, what would you say? This is so hard. I... I would just shake myself like it doesn't matter what he thinks. It doesn't matter what they think. You know, I tried to rebel and be my this like interesting person. But really, I just cared so much what everybody thought. Meanwhile, everyone's thinking about themselves, right. themselves. Everyone's thinking about themselves, know. you know, and the people who are not thinking about themselves, honestly, is how I feel about them. Yeah. Because in the end of the day, my father said something to me when I was in high school. And it's one of the best things that I he, I mean, he has great stuff, but like this was one of the best things. And he said, people are going to talk shit. Mm. There are people that do that no matter what. You could be your best self or your worst self. If they want to talk shit, they will find something right. to say. Right. They will make it up or they will twist a story or it's their perspective. Whatever it is, you got to do you. Mm -hmm. You do you. And honestly, like... If you did something wrong, you did something wrong. You got to accept it. And when you do something right, you do something right. And you just live with, okay, how can I get better? How can I move on? Right. And, 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 and that feelings don't have to be so scary. No, feelings are not facts. They don't have to be so scary. I would tell myself that too, if she would listen, which she wouldn't. And I would say, it's okay to be sad. You don't have to, to mask it yeah you know yeah. you don't have to destroy your life and but it all got you where you are today so in the yeah. end that's how i feel like i wouldn't i wouldn't i did some crazy stuff and i wouldn't change it i you know i think one of the best things about me now is that i'm a recovering addict yeah i think yeah, I think I don't have a lot of hobbies and things like that. This is like well, you have two kids and you're well, single. Okay, mom, but, so. and that's like that <laughs> that's sounds like, like a horrible thing that's to like say. Three jobs. I enjoy my life. Don't get me wrong. I'm okay that, with the fact that I'm not a mountain climber 
or a rollerblader oh, or whatever. I don't want to be. Well, okay. I it would be cool. Though. Yeah. It would be cool. I'd like to roll. I like, and I don't, I don't advertise it too much because I still obviously have a lot of fear of people. Let mm-hmm. me back up. Sorry. But like, it is the most interesting thing about me. It is the coolest thing I've ever overcome. And I can brag about it because it wasn't me. It was me and it was God and it was all of you guys, especially you. And God gave you, you know, put you in my life. So I'm not breaking any rules by putting too much power on a person. Oh my God, I'm going to cry, but I love you so much. And God put you in my life because the truth is, is that you helped me more than anything. You know, and I love you so much. I and love I'm so you. happy you're here. I can't believe yeah. I just did a video thing. I'm like, I don't even have a TikTok, so <laughs> who cares? Yeah. Anyway, I'm so happy you came. Thank you. You made me tear up, and I do know me. I'm not. I'm not a very stoic. I'm not a crier. <laughs> but my pleasure um, to make you cry. I love you so much, and I'm so happy you came. And I, I hope that. Carrie's story really brings hope to other women and other mothers and to know that it's okay if you messed up and to move on and move forward and change your life. I really think that that's the important message we heard, you know. I love you. Thank you for I love coming. you, Irene. Thank Can you for have? having me. Yes. God, yes. Oh, come on. I wish I got up with more grace. Yay. Oh. That's okay. Oh. I love you. Thank you for coming to Crosstalk. You're yes. Crosstalk rocks. Woo. Crosstalk Rock. Subscribe. Rocks. Oh, oh.